This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is James Ball. I write every week in the New European on what's happening behind the scenes in Westminster and across the world. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Hello, snowflakes, and welcome back to the New European podcast, a British eye on European politics and culture from the people who bring you the New European newspaper. That includes me, Steve Anglesey. How are you doing? What do you want for Christmas, by the way? Is it an all-out trade war with the EU? Well, then you might just be in luck. But do you want a turkey or pigs in blankets, a Christmas tree, presents that the kids actually want? Maybe not so much then. After the COVID response report, Dominic Cummings has said the Prime Minister's either stupid or a liar. To which I say, let's be fair to Boris Johnson and be big enough to admit that he is both. This week on the podcast, Brexit is beginning to collapse under the weight of its own stupidity, as we said it would. But at the same time, could the EU be collapsing too, from the inside? A court in Poland says that EU decisions can be overridden by the decisions of individual countries. The EU says they can't. And other member states are calling for action against Poland, which is receiving a huge amount of EU money. Is it just posturing from Polish populace, or is this the sign of something more sinister? Is there going to be anything left for us to rejoin? I'll be talking about all that shortly with my new European colleague, Suna Erden. To be sure of getting a copy of the new European and access to our online archive, why not support us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. While you're there, you can check out our superb new website. We've got an excellent new podcast you can listen to after this one too. Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives tells the life stories of amazing Europeans in short 10-minute bursts. It's fantastic. 
and it's available where you got this podcast. Charlie Connolly's Great European Life. Search for it after this. So coming up in a moment, sooner Erdem. But first, it surely won't have escaped your attention that Boris Johnson's gone on holiday. The bad news is that he's coming back from holiday, but he's definitely gone on holiday. He's been in Marbella, where in a completely on-stage photo, he was seen outside doing a painting. Yes, just like Churchill used to do. While wearing a white painting smock. Yes, just like Churchill used to wear. If Boris Johnson does want to go one step further with the Churchill thing and try the cigar, I'm sure we could all suggest which orifice he should stick it in and give him a V-side for his trouble. But surely politicians have got to be allowed to go on holiday. They've got a difficult job, right? And after all, Boris Johnson's got a packed few months ahead. There's COP26, there's the autumn budget, then he's penciled in the second winter of discontent, fourth lockdown, the worst Christmas ever. Busy lad. What do you think about Boris Johnson going on holiday at a time like this? These are the views of some new European podcast listeners. Mark McDonough says it's terrible. He won't be away for long enough. Louise Locke says I'm more distressed that he's bound to return. Tony Price says... I'm very angry about it when you look at the crisis over energy for businesses, the continuing HGV shortage, and especially knowing that the committee report on how the pandemic was handled was going to come out this week. What does a coward do when he feels under attack? He runs away. Derek Beddow takes up that theme. He says Boris Johnson has got form for being out of the country when serious events are happening. The question is, when was he told about the release date of the damning COVID report? And was he forewarned about its conclusion? Is it a convenient time to flee? Stephen Baker says, will Boris Johnson going to Spain enable Liz Trust to do a Manchego cheese deal? And Sue Finch says Boris Johnson was on holiday last month too. Well, I think that was in August, Sue. Not that long ago, not last month, but he was in August and he, he went to the West Coast country didn't he and he went there on the day that the Taliban were advancing towards Kabul they had to come back after a day then when they'd taken over Kabul and all sorts of horrible things were going on he went well that's fine I can go back on holiday he said he wasn't on holiday though he said he was working from home at the West Country and John T. Gifford takes up that theme he says it makes sense that Boris Johnson works from his villa in Marbella even if it does mean that politicians back in the office will be gossiping about it. Tina Brown, finally, says, what's the difference if Boris Johnson goes on holiday? He doesn't do anything when he's not on holiday. Very true. And now, from an idiot abroad to an existential crisis abroad. Huge crowds may have gathered in Poland at the weekend to declare how much Polish people want to stay in the EU, but the gauntlet thrown down by the country's populist government is still posing a huge threat to the Union. Joining us is my new European colleague, Suna Erd. Welcome back to the podcast, Suna. How are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Very busy. Lots going on in the world. Good. Well, if, I mean, if you're very busy, you should surely be going straight to Marbella on holiday like Boris Johnson. Are you very exercised about the idea of Boris Johnson going on holiday while the country and Brexit are on fire? Well, he does have a habit of it, doesn't he? I think, I mean, I sort of refer you to things that somebody said when he missed all those Cobra meetings that it might have been better for him not to be there anyway. That was yeah. Dominic Cummings, wasn't it? I think so. Maybe, uh, maybe it's no bad thing. I don't know. No. Um, doesn't look good, does it? It isn't a brilliant look. Dominic Cummings is, is a, a funny one, isn't he? Um, he's, he's, uh, his reference to Boris Johnson is a shopping trolley that's out with a broken wheel, something that has really failed to capture the imagination of the nation, but he keeps he keeps doing it, referring to him as the trolley. He's even using a trolley emoji now. It is a bit like that bit in Mean Girls where they go, stop trying to make fetch happen, it isn't going to happen, or, or whatever, uh, whatever it is. Your piece for the New European this week starts with the 
massive pro-EU marches on the streets of Warsaw in Gdansk at the weekend. The one in Gdansk was, is led by Lech Walesa, who was wearing a pair of orange wraparound sunglasses that made him look like Bono's dad. What's just, just talk us through what led up to those marches. There's been a lot of discontent in Poland in recent years, particularly since the law and justice government was elected in 2015. They've been restricting women's rights quite seriously, particularly an abortion law, which almost outlaws abortion altogether under most circumstances. There was a massive women-led march about that last year, and that brought about quite a momentum actually against the government. They've been attacking the media. Most of the media is actually owned by supporters of the government. um, So they've been trying to bring in a media bill, which um, is trying to restrict non-EU ownership. And that would specifically target the TVN independent station, which uh, is quite critical of the government and is owned majority owned by Discovery. There have been the, the recent problem has been um, over restrictions to the judiciary. They're not only sort of packing courts with or the senior top courts with um, their supporters, but they've brought in a disciplinary chamber to um, punish top lawyers and judges who have you know, effectively don't do what they want, but um, they say um, abuse their position. They've been restricting, trying to restrict laws. They've been attacking human rights. You know, a lot of fundamental things uh, that the EU and a lot of their people think is uh, quite important. And um, the latest thing is when the EU started criticising them and sanctioning them over their judicial changes, particularly this court, they um, the Constitutional Tribunal ruled last week to say that the, their laws were incompatible for with EU law. So EU laws were incompatible with the Polish constitution. And that was the trigger for the latest marches, um, because you know, it's it's sort of, you know, EU 101 to have, to have your laws compatible with the EU laws. Yes. And um, that, that started to raise worries about what people are calling Polexit. So um, you know, if the Poland doesn't comply with the EU laws, then how can it remain in the EU? And mm. so a lot of discontent started from the women's marches last year has bubbled away because the, the uh, polls are very, very pro-EU, about 70%. A lot of people have poured out onto the street. And interestingly, this is sort of organised in part by um, uh, an old friend of the UK, Donald Tusk, who was former president of the European Commission. He's um, now back in Poland leading his old party, which um, he uh, with which he governed Poland for two terms that's fallen into disarray and now he's leading the opposition in Poland and he's trying to whip up a movement against the government and you know try and topple it hopefully for him over the next yeah. few years. Still his party's still quite a way behind in the polls behind uh, Andrew Duda's uh, party um, they call the Law and Justice Party but as you say that you know I think Duda's party of two parties polling about 20% Duda's party 30 31% and of course there's about 70% in favour of remaining in the in the EU although we've seen how quickly those kind of things can change yes what is in it for for, for Andre Duda and the the, the poll exiteers then because I mean he says that he doesn't want to leave the EU but they're miles behind in the polls as, as we as we say is the idea to sort of prod the EU into kind of a sovereignty war that will close that gap up or are they do they want to open things up for the likes of Hungary and 
other countries uh, to create their own mischief with the EU? It's probably a mixture of a lot of things. I mean, the more they push and the more they get away with it, the more they can have the advantages of being in the EU without having the disadvantages and they can keep their support. They have a lot of support from the far right and from the Catholics, which are quite quite happy with uh, the, the strict laws and, you know, clamp down on LGBTQ, all that kind of stuff. They, they The more they can push, the more they get to do what they want, I guess, and cement their power because it's not all going their way the peace and justice uh, sorry the law and justice party mm. definitely not peace and justice party <laughs> it's definitely it's not all going their way at the moment they've had um tussles in parliament the junior coalition partners left government or said it's going to leave and um and even in you know in the election the presidential election of andre duda he wasn't it was the slimmest majority he had when he was elected his opponent rafael trostovsky nearly it was was up there and he's from um tusk's civic platform so they're they're in a bit of trouble so i think they need to support need to get more of their supporters out but obviously it helps if they push the EU and the EU responds in the wrong way. This could potentially reduce pro-EU support in the country. Um, I think there's been a slight, slight uptick in anti-EU sentiment, but like very minor. But if you push a country and it becomes, feels like a victim, then then all this backfires. I mean, it happens somewhere like Turkey, which is perennially feeling like a victim. I know they're not a member, but still. They were massively pro-EU and under Erdogan's sort of victim policy, they feel that all this support has gone down. So that could happen. And I guess it's they're testing the EU's mechanisms which they're not really set up for being a union of people who don't want to put the arm it's quite sweet really it's sort of set up so that with the assumption that everyone wants to be there and they subscribe to the values and they want to do what the the laws say mostly and um, so having members like this who definitely say they don't want to leave but are constantly causing trouble it's creating a huge problem for them so they don't actually have the mechanisms to really clamp down I mean they've they've set they've you know, sanctioned Poland and Hungary several times or they sort of started process against them but you know, Hungary sort of backed down made a few cosmetic changes Poland hasn't yet mm. but they're not really getting through yet it does set up for a sort of avalanche of rule breaking possibly we can see from what's happening with the Northern Ireland protocol that that if you do push the EU that they they, they will give ground at the moment and, and maybe there's a maybe there's an element of that what are the what are the EU's options then we talked about sanctions first of all what about fining Poland or withholding EU money to Poland it does receive a great deal proportionally yes I mean there's sort of one option which is sort of they've started but it hasn't really managed to go through because it requires unanimity at certain stages of it is Article 7 of the European yes. Treaty. And um, that would involve, you know, a sanction process which would event- could eventually um, remove some of their voting rights. This they have actually instigated it on other issues against Poland, but it requires, as I say, at some level it requires unanimity. And when you get to that vote, Hungary certainly Hungary. won't vote for it. So that's, you know, not really a starter at the moment in, a, in any effective way. There's an infringement process which could result in fines. Now, um, I've spoken to some, someone who had very high high level um, jobs in the EU who says, you know, well, they're just not going to pay. If they don't feel like they want to pay, they don't want to pay because they don't now recognise EU jurisdiction with this latest law. So, you know, you can fine them, but if they're not going to pay, you're not going to go in there with your tanks. Another thing could be um, to the sort of conditionality clause where you um, make you know, giving them funds, something like the um, the COVID recovery funds as well, conditional on their sort of good behaviour on certain things, particularly in primary things like the rule of law. And they could do that and that seems to be what they might 
do actually that seems to be the most popular option at the moment but they, you know, it's a long process but the danger of that is you know it's not a good look to refuse to give a country money for much needed COVID recovery under any circumstances and make it conditional or something else so that's quite a delicate balance they have to have because again that's something that could push um, anti-EU sentiment so it's not you know, they can't throw them out so they don't have huge options and Poland also has also I think the Polish officials have said well we don't really care if you don't give us money we've got loads of money that's yeah. probably not the case but on the other hand a lot of Polish voters are more than aware of how much they are reliant on EU funds and they've seen the benefit of it so it could also backfire on Poland it all depends because um, until this constitutional tribunal ruling is published officially it's not gone into effect so I guess I'm just guessing here there could be a, a sort of process where it's just there hanging over as a threat, but it doesn't um, publish. I mean, the EU does need to do something, doesn't it? There is a, I think there is a real sort of sense of drift around the, the, the EU. Again, we're seeing this in the negotiations, the drawn out negotiations about getting Brexit read on now, as it seems to, as it seems to be. Do you think that they do need to do something, have some kind of show of strength? They definitely need to have some kind of show of strength um, at the moment, because if they keep giving in, then it sort of opens the door for other other countries, other issues. So they do. I mean, it's it's a real problem how they will do it, though. I've I've spoke to one um, MEP who just says they've just got to be going hard and fast and whatever they do, they've got to do it. And they mustn't be timid because otherwise it'll be it'll have really bad repercussions in terms of Poland. So they do have to do something, but they, they are in a bit of a bind. They've promised to do a lot we'll just have to wait and see what they do come up with but at the back of all this there's a feeling that you know how how much effect they can they have mm. I mean I guess on the other hand maybe if they're just mis- mischief making countries like Poland they will sort of do something cosmetic but yeah. they have to do something and then there's sort of wider issues that come into play about you know, what is the EU's jurisdiction what can it do what what should it do should it ease off a bit if it wants to grow they're going to have even more problems you know, the countries aren't as homogenous as they were. It's, um, it's a difficult one for them. It really is. And, I, I, and I'm wondering whether this will, you know, only really be solved when the, the next Polish election happens, which, you know, it doesn't have to happen but for another two years, I think, unless he calls an early election. Well, you know, Donald Tusk back from Brussels on manoeuvres there. In the last few days, we've seen Sebastian Kurz resigning scandal as Austria's leader. We've seen Andre Babis surprisingly defeated in the Czech election. I know there's all sorts of shenanigans there. Is there any sort of sense that people like Andre Duda, that their time is is nearly up, that the, the populist nightmare is beginning to come to a close across Europe? Or is it too early to say that, do you think? Yes, there are definitely chinks in the armour of the populists. I mean, Kurtz, you know, he was such a poster boy, um, for new right and mm. um, he's sort of been tarnished and have to resign I mean, he does have a close a loyalist replacing him at the moment but it's that you know, once a tarnish has worn off it can go away quite quickly so you know Austria who knows and um, in the Czech Republic they've got they've got long coalition talks ahead but that looks like you know there's sort of certainly changing things are changing in, in um, Poland you feel that there is this swell of support I mean Duda nearly didn't get in or only just narrowly got in last time you know it's not looking good for the opposition at the moment and there are they are divided but there's a couple of years ahead and you can just see across Europe where these sort of green shoots with a few of the left-wing parties coming back in a bit um, so it's it's got to change sometime but it's very finely balanced I think I don't think we can be very excited just yet. No and, and before I let you go what about our own populist nightmare at, at home we've got you know we've got David Frost say again saying that the, the tree 
treaty that he negotiated was terrible and he never really believed in it. We've got Dominic Cummings saying that we're always going to have to go back and fix it. Senior Tories are saying that Brexit has to be redone again. You've spoken to people in the EU recently about this story about Poland. How are they viewing, how are they viewing Britain right now at a time when Britain's supposed to be in the business of gaining the world's respect and Europe's respect ahead of COP26? Well, with despair, Schadenfreude, they're not not very impressed. Um, certainly, but what you have, what you do see, is that although we get very cross with people like David Frost, is all they're pushing and pushing and do all these things that people are very contemptuous of. But they they're just getting things at the end of mm. it. You know, you don't know how far it'll go, but they just seem to be acting with impunity at the moment and getting away with stuff. So I don't know where the patience ends. Really, I mean, it's all. In terms of inter- you know, each country, it's so much about what the opposition can do until the opposition's a force to be reckoned with. They get away with loads of things. And um, the Conservatives under Boris Johnson have, um, you know, repeatedly come up smelling of roses. Yeah. I don't know when that will end, to be honest. No, no idea. They're getting a free pass. Let's hope it stops soon. Thanks to Suna Erdem. Thank you, Suna. We will speak to you soon. Thank you. To read sooner on Poland, many other things, subscribe to The New European at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Finally, it's the Hall of Shame. It's our home for putrid politicians, pompous pundits, things that just annoy me generally. Who's going to be in the Hall of Shame this week? Will it be Therese Coffey for singing, I had the time of my life at the Tory party's karaoke night? just an hour after her government department's uplifting universal credit? Or will it be David Frost, who I think also picked I Had the Time of My Life at the Tory Party's Karaoke Night. Then he sang I Had the Time of My Life at the Tory Party's Karaoke Night. And then he went round saying I Had the Time of My Life was the best song that he'd ever heard at the Tory Party's Karaoke Night. And then half an hour later, he came back and said he wanted to sing another song because he just realised that I Had the Time of My Life was the worst song that he'd ever heard in his life, especially when sung at the Tory party's karaoke night. Martin Daubney is in the Hall of Shame. He's a former Brexit Party MEP and he wants a trade war with Europe. Great idea there. Trade war with a block of your 27 nearest neighbours. He says a trade war is is necessary in order to finally get Brexit done. And of course, Brexit is not done. Only an idiot would have thought Brexit was done, like the idiot who wrote this in the Daily Express on February the 2nd, 2020. We got Brexit done. We stood on the shoulders of Brexiteers and got it done. We finally got Brexit done. It has happened. This is our Brexit. Let's enjoy it together. And of course, the man who wrote there that he got Brexit done was the man who says now that Brexit isn't done. Martin Daugney. What a line that is, by the way. This is our Brexit. Let's enjoy it together. Are you enjoying it, dear New European podcast listener? Are you enjoying it, Martin Daugney? Was it really worth it, all of this? Talking of nonsense in the Daily Express, it's Anne Widdicombe time. Alack, egad, harumph, Anne Widdicombe Corner is on for us once again. The magic time of the week when I read out the most stupid bits from Anne Widdicombe's stupid column in the stupid Daily Express. I am tired of hearing how migrants are coming over the channel in rubber dinghies day after day, writes Anne Widdicombe. Stop listening to Nigel Farage prowling on there. She's moaning about migrants who seek illegal entry into Britain rather than come to France. And don't worry, Anne and Nigel and all their mates. And she says the reason they all try to come here is simple enough. We are seen as a soft touch. And we are. Now, 
One of the biggest problems I think that we face in this country is the repetition of rubbish old tropes that weren't even true in the first place by people who should know better, or in Anne Widdicombe's case, are paid to know better. We aren't a soft touch, are we? We offer people claiming asylum far less support than they get in France and Spain and Germany. And however they get here, our refugee burden is quite small. It's far less, again, than France, Spain and Germany. And people have got the right to claim refuge in whichever country they want to claim refuge. Given that we pay them less than other countries and we take fewer refugees than other countries, why do they want to come here? Well, maybe it's because their second language is English and they feel that they're more likely to get a job here and contribute to the economy than in a country whose language they don't speak. Maybe they've got relatives who've come here. Maybe, just maybe, they got hooked on reading stupid British newspaper columns by stupid British newspaper columnists about what a soft-touch Britain is, even though it isn't one. The foremost in the Hall of Shame this week is Ian Duncan Smith. He said that despite spiking COVID infections, people should stop home working because in the 1940s, they kept coming into the office even when Hitler's bombs were raining down. But it's hard to know where to start with this one, isn't it? But Ian, could the reason that people kept coming into the office even when Hitler's bombs were raining down in the 1940s, could it be that it's because there was no internet in the 1940s, no mobile phones in the 1940s. There was no way to keep in touch with your colleagues in the 1940s, other than going into the office. Would people really have gone into the office in the 1940s if they'd had those things? No, they wouldn't have put their lives at risk. I tweeted this at the time, and Sophie Gadd, who's ex-BuzzFeed and now works for the Lego agency, she wrote this in reply. What he says is not even true either. My great aunt's best friend works at the Bank of England in World War II and they switched to three days on and three days off. So not true. Trish Trash added, my mum could only go to school half time because it was shared by evacuees who'd fled the raining down of Hitler's bombs. But of course, Ian Duncan Smith wouldn't know anything about that because he was only born in 1954. Like the rest of these people who go on and on about the war, Marc Francois, you know, born until the late 1950s, early 60s. Like Anne Widdicombe, Ian Duncan Smith is relying on old stuff he's heard from fellow right-wingers that was never true in the first place. But like the blokes that you hear in the pub coming out with guff about how asylum seekers jump the queue and they get hundreds of pounds a week to do nothing and all that nonsense, Ian Duncan Smith is actually getting paid to talk about this nonsense. I guess Dominic Cummings would say that Ian Duncan Smith is either stupid or a liar. And once again, I'm going to say, let's be fair to the guy. Ian Duncan Smith is both. That was the New European Podcast with Steve Anglesey. Thanks to my guest, Suna Erdem, and thanks to you for listening. Thanks, too, to our producer, Ellie Longman-Rood. Episodes of the New European Podcast are now released each Thursday. If you enjoyed this one, why not subscribe and rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice? If you'd like to enjoy more podcasts from the New European, check out Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives, available where you got this one. And if you'd like to enjoy more from the New European visit our website and join us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. On social media, you can join our Facebook readers group. You can follow The New European on Twitter at The New European. Follow me on Twitter, please. Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Until the next time we meet, so long, snowflakes. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.